asking the question, what's next? At the beginning of the year, I think this is something that kind of percolates in our head. It kind of rattles around. What's next for me? What does this look like? We kind of take a moment to reflect, to look back and to say, okay, this is what was happened. But what's the next step? Maybe for my career, for my kids, for my finances, for my relationships. What's next? And for some of you, that promotes a heavy dose of anxiety, fear, trepidation. You're just scared. And for others of you, you're kind of indifferent. Maybe you don't think, you just kind of go through the motions and it's, oh, I don't think about what the future's holding. I just kind of do what happens. I have one of my best friends, drives me nuts. I'm a planner. He's not a planner. Love him. Other than Kelly, he's the best roommate I've ever had. Right? Some days? No, I'm sorry. But he is not a planner. I got woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Jared! Jared! What? Um, you know how I have a Bible final tomorrow? Well, yeah. Who's Abraham? <laughs> okay, okay. So what you're telling me is I need to wake up right now and teach you the Bible. Yes. Okay. He, was, he played baseball for Anderson, so he had to get at least like a D, or he's done playing baseball at Anderson. So I woke up and proceeded to tell an hour and a half at 3, 2 in the morning, something like that, the whole Old Testament to, uh, to Andy. Andy comes every once in a while, so you can just point and laugh at him, tall, red-headed guy. <laughs> Nicest guy in the world, not a planner, <laughs> right? Some of you are the same way. You're like, what's wrong with that? I was not held captive by Bible for the whole semester. That's okay, right? Others of us, we have to plan everything out. You got to know exactly. Your day timers are color-coded. You know exactly what's happening, when it's happening, and what that looks like. Others of you don't. You have a day planner. Or some of you don't even know what a day planner looks like. Some of you, like me, you, ha- you buy day planners. I've spent exorbitant amount of money on ways to get organized. There is yet to be one that did it itself for me. Right? And so that's just the way it goes, and we have these different personalities and what, what that looks like. But some of you, we're always asking this question, what's next? What does that look like? And so we're going to take, I'm really, really excited about the series. Actually, this week, we planned out of this, uh, we planned out this series, we planned out Easter series, and the one after Easter. Now, there's one in February we haven't planned out yet, but we'll get to it, I promise. Uh, but we, we, we planned all that out on Tuesday. It was a fun marathon meeting. Um, it was great, and I'm so excited about what God has in store for us and the, the topics we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna delve into. The Easter series, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. The Easter series could possibly be the coolest sermon series you've ever seen, heard of in your whole entire life. And that's not because I'm giving it, just because the way it's constructed. I'm going to need your participation in it as well. I, we were so excited about it. We're like, is Easter here? Is Easter here? Christmas was two days ago. And we're like, is Easter here? Come on, come on. Because Easter is going to be so excited. I got my dad excited about it. He's preaching at a different church for these months. And he want, he's like, ah, I hope it's over by then so I can come to church. It's so, he's going to help us with some of the writing of the things going on. I'm, I'm telling you, Easter is going to be killer. So, with that being said, if you uh, have ever done any acting or would be interested in doing um, some acting for us, some monologues, I would love to talk to you about that. Only for a little bit. It's not like going to take forever. It's going to be on video, not on stage, so you don't have to be. I don't want to be in front of people. It's just you 
Kevin in a room. Kevin can leave. You can just leave the, leave the camera on. You just keep on talking to the camera until you get it right. It's okay. Uh, so if that interests you at all, we need a few people to help us out with that um, and let us know. But I'm just telling you, I don't want to give too much away. It's got to be so awesome. Um, and so for this series, we're also, I'm really excited about all these things because uh, I get to talk about the book of the Bible that I love the most. Um, it's an Old Testament book of the Bible. It's called First Samuel. And as we've been discussing this what's next theme, I've been thinking about well, what, what looks like this. What, what should we be talking about? And the question is asked of the whole uh, people of Israel in 1 Samuel is the question keeps on being asked, what's next for us as a country? What's next for us as a people? And then it boils down into these very personal narratives. What's next for these people? Saul, Samuel, David, Jonathan. You might have, even if you've not been around uh, church your whole life, you might have heard these guys' names before. And they're pretty pivotal to the, the, the biblical narrative. They are pretty important guys. And so we're going to examine their stories in different ways, just a few of them. Um, but uh, I'm really excited about that. So if you want to read First Samuel on your own time uh, this this month, that would be a fabulous way to spend your time. I think our men's group on Monday nights is going to be exploring 1 Samuel. Um, so uh, as a 13-year-old boy, I fell in love with the Bible through 1 Samuel before I even fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with the narrative. I fell in love with the story. I fell in love with the complexity of it. I fell in love with who, how these guys are interacting. I fell in love with the blood and guts and the David is an awesome dude, just uh, pulling 300 moves over, over, all over the place. I fell in love with that. And it wasn't until later when God built on my experience with just studying the scripture because I was in love with the story that Jesus interacted with my life and totally changed me. But I fell in love with the scripture through this book before I even fell in love with Jesus. That might not make sense to you, but that's just how my, my personal story happened. Excuse me. I've been trying to lose my voice all week, so um, I'm getting good at it. <clears throat> so we asked this question. How do, we, how do we ask the question, what's next without worry or fear? Because that's where I want to be. I want to look forward to the future, not be scared of it. And there's certain parts in your life when maybe you've lost your job or your kid's going crazy or you, know, you don't know what retirement looks like for you, that anytime the future is brought into your brain, this panic attack all of a sudden starts to set in. When you look at yourself five years down the road, you go, that, I don't want to deal with that yet. So I want to get us to a place as a church and as a people and as a person, how do we approach what's next without worry or fear? Proverbs 31.25, this is talking about um, the Proverbs 31 woman. This is an amazing woman. This is like a checklist of, wow, this is an amazing woman. So if you read Proverbs 31, men are like, yeah, that's a cool woman. And women are like, I don't like this chapter. It's my least favorite chapter in the Bible. Uh, But it's a goal to go towards, okay? So Proverbs 31 is amazing, this woman. But this this scripture we have on our wall in our bedroom. And um, I, I was looking at it this morning going, that's just so neat. And in the New Living Translation, it says this, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Or she can laugh at the days to come, the NIV says. The NLT says, I like that, laughs without fear of the future. How cool is that? 
to be able to laugh, to know that you are secure enough in who you are and where you are at, and no matter what your finances or your relationships or just who I am as a child of God, I can laugh at the future. It's okay. That's not just a woman thing. That's not just a man thing. That's not a kid thing. That's a, that's a everybody is a child of God thing that we can be, stre- can be clothed in strength and in dignity and laugh at the days to come. That's who I want to be, and that's kind of the impetus for today's message. <clears throat> Jesus talks about this repeatedly when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Does that mean don't plan for anything? No, I don't think so at all. It means don't be trapped by anxiety. How is this possible? Where's the line between worry and preparation? How do we maintain the balance of giving God control of my life and getting things done? This is so important to how we do this. How do we draw a line between worry and preparation? The character we want to talk about today is Saul. And Saul is uh, giving us a perfect example of this, uh, how how we fall into victim of being, uh, of worry and how when we try to do things ourselves and deal with it and take control for our, ourselves, we just kind of end up messing it all up. Saul, in 1 Samuel 13, does something he's not supposed to do. He does something that, um, from the beginning, no one is, is supposed to do this. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. Israel is struggling with its national identity. It has come out of the exodus... And into the period of Judges. And Judges is this time period in which it's kind of a confederation of different tribes all in the promised land. And so the different, there's the 12 tribes are in different spots and they all get to uh, own basically these, these areas of land. But they don't report to anyone above them. So they've got this kind of loose affiliation, if you will. This would be like the states before a national government. Just kind of, yeah, we'll kind of work with you if it suits us, but not really. And so you've got this weird thing going on, which uh, the way God has set it up is he's saying, I will be your king. You don't need a man-made king. As long as you follow after me, I'll be your king. We'll all be okay. Well, of course, what happens? The people don't follow God anymore, and uh, bad things happen. People called the uh, Philistines come in and invade and take over land and take all the choice land. And that's what's going on right here in the scripture. If you need a little historical reference for who the Philistines are, they're basically like the ancient Vikings. They lived in an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. They'd get on some boats and go conquer and pillage the best area during harvest time and say, oh, thanks for doing all the hard work. Thanks for making the um, the barley and the oats and the, the wine for us. We'll be leaving now. And they would take it. What made them so effective is they figured out how to make iron before everybody else did. So if you take a, an iron sword and you hit it with a bronze sword, the bronze sword goes, it's like me, uh, Bowen, getting a stick, and I always get like the pool noodle when we you know, do this, and he's like, ah! and you're just trying to defend yourself, but that's not going to go well for you for very long, is it? And so there's this huge technology gap, and so them being bullies will come in and take your stuff. And so this is happening over and over again in the, in the biblical narrative, and the people are going, okay, we've had enough. And they talk to the prophet Samuel, 
We've had enough. Give us a king. And Samuel's like, you don't need a king. You got God. Give us a king. And Samuel's like, God, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. And Samuel, and God says, it's okay, I'll give him a king. They're not going to like it, but I'm going to give him a king. There's a whole chapter in the, yeah, that Samuel repeats from the Lord. In 1 Samuel, he talks about, he just says, the king's going to do this. He's going to take your horses. He's going to make you have, take your taxes. He's going to take your money. He's going to do all these things. You don't want him. This is a bad idea. And the people go, we still want him. Fine. (laughs) And so he gives them, he finds Saul, anoints Saul. Saul becomes king. And and Saul is trying to figure this out. He's trying to figure out how to be a king. And as anybody does who gets a lot of power really soon, and uh, you're like, oh, okay, I got, I got power now. I got an army. Well, I got to play with an army. I'm a king. Uh, this is what I got to do. And so he goes and attacks a few of the Philistine villages and takes some of their stuff back. Then he realizes this very bad thing about when you mess with a superpower and you're not a superpower. You, know, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, right? And so he kicks, I'm going to use all kinds of silly metaphors. He kicks the hornet's nest and doesn't like what comes out. And so Saul goes, uh-oh. And he takes his people and he runs to a mountain and they are camping there. And this is when he's like, oh, Samuel, could you come offer some sacrifices to God? Because he'd be in control now. I don't really want to be king. I want God to be king. I'm in trouble. And Samuel says, yeah, I'll be there in seven days. So one day goes on past. People start to leave. Two goes past. Saul's like, okay, the Philistines are getting closer. Three day, four day, five, six, seven day. Saul wakes up. We're Samuel. He ain't here yet. I mean, think about it. We don't have a cell phone. We don't have roads. We don't have a car. We're lucky if Samuel's riding on a donkey. This is not, if he's 15 minutes late, it's okay. Right? You got to be a little more patient than Jared would like to be. And so he shows up and Saul's like, apparently he's not showing up. I've been awake for a good half an hour now. Let's offer some sacrifices. And that's where we find us. Saul remained at Gilgal, and the troops him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that men were scattering, and you did not come at the set time, the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, and I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. This is like the biblical version of a Gibbs smack, if you watch in CIS. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man of his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin. Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So they all ran away anyway. Why does he, felt, <clears throat> why does he feel the need to offer these sacrifices? Because he's scared of what men are going to do. It comes from his fear of others. Now think about it. Only Saul, if you read earlier, First of all, Saul's kingship has lasted three chapters before he gets yelled at by Samuel. Three chapters. That's it. They've been wanting a king for 500 years. The first king lasts about you know, three years. It's not going that well for Saul. But this biblical narrative talks about that only Saul and his son have iron weapons, have iron swords. 
They're the only two. The people who are leaving him have pitchforks. It's not the worst thing in the world. These aren't highly trained Navy SEALs that are leaving him. These are guys who are like, oh, this will be fun. We'll go get some of our stuff back from Philistines. Well, i got to go do the harvest. I'm going to leave. That's basically what just happened. These were just run-of-the-mill. These were not highly skilled, highly trained people. But he was scared of them. He was scared of what they had to offer. He was scared of them rebelling against him. He was scared of looking silly in front of them. Saul's failure comes out of his fear of others. He does something so bad. What makes Saul so bad in Samuel's sight and why the blessing is removed is this. Even in Moses' time, there was Moses and his brother Aaron. Aaron was in charge of the sacrifices. Moses was in charge of the leadership. Right? There's always supposed to be this separation of leadership and priestly duties. Because when you combine the two, you have this uber leader who then becomes basically their god. And all the other rulers of that time also would have been the head religious leader and the head leader leader at the same time. And so what this separation of powers, the separation of priestly duty and the separation of leadership duty was supposed to do is to keep them separate so the power all didn't rest in one man and you wouldn't have this, you wouldn't echo the other leaders around there. Israel would be set apart. Does that make sense? It's kind of a, a nuanced thing, but kind of interesting. It might help you. Why? This is such a big deal because you're like, well, he offered a sacrifice. Whoopty, he's not supposed to offer a sacrifice. He's not a priest. Bad Saul. Second thing, he comes from his lack of knowledge of God. He has obviously not been paying attention to the law or Samuel. He obviously isn't. If he would have paid attention to the law, he would have known, you don't do that. Just wait longer. It comes from a lack of prayer. He's waiting on Samuel to pray, not for himself to pray. Think about it. He's already fought the Philistines. He's already attacked these areas. He's already called the military in. And this is his thought. Uh, Verse 12 and 13. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. This is a big whoops-a-daisy. You probably should have started with the Lord's favor and then moved the army around and started attacking people and stealing things and stuff. See how you get that out of order? And it comes from his lack of trust. He gets himself into a pickle, and now he says, okay, God, get me out of it. We never do that, do we? Nah, we never find ourselves like, oh, probably should have sought your guidance in this before, but God, can you, can you get me out of jail here? Figurative or literal, whatever. Hmm? How do we do this? How do we make the change so we get ready for what is next? Because I'm telling you, we echo Saul all the time. All the time, we let fear dictate what's next for us instead of God. All the time, we operate out of a lack of relationship with God. All the time, we operate out of a lack of prayer. All the time, we operate out of a lack of trust. Because those things are what causes the anxiety and and the, uh, the guilt and the... And the pent upness. That's not a word, but it worked. That that's that was what paralyzes us. Is when we, we can't operate out of the assurance that God offers us through prayer and through trust and through knowledge of Him, through fear of others. He the right fear was not in place here. The fear was in fear of people who did not actually matter. 
instead of a fear of God. So how do we make this change? First thing is we make every effort to get in the word. Every effort to get in the word. What does that mean? Look, it's the beginning of the year. There is a thousand different reading plans you can choose from. You can read the Bible chronologically. You did probably might not have even known. It's not written chronologically. It's not in here chronologically. It's in here in a different order. It's, we can talk about that some other time. But you can, if you want to do it chronologically, you can download that plan. You can download it so you read it in 90 days. You can download it so you read it in 66 days. You can download it if you like, want extra credit points right there. You can download it so you can do it in two years. If you're really, really slow, it's okay. You can do it six months. Whatever speed you want, you can read the Bible. You can get into it. It's important. We can't know what God wants if we don't read the Word. The Bible is like a mirror that shows every scar, every zit, every imperfection we have. But it also shows us who we can be. It has this neat feature of showing us the future and showing us how to change it, how we exactly are at the present right now. It's what makes it so powerful. But Jared, I don't understand it. That's okay. Keep on reading. Jared, I fall asleep every time I crack it open. That's okay. Keep reading. Get out of Leviticus. It's okay. Right? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today that will be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Unless we imprint God's words on our heart, we have no basis to make the changes we are seeking. Unless we imprint it on our hearts. Everything, all the choices that we make need to become and operate out of the truth of the Scripture. And here's a really tricky part. If you have a decision to make, and you really want to make that decision, but it's very clear in the Scripture that every time you read it, it's saying, don't make that decision, and you make it anyway. Don't be disappointed in God when it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. Right? We just, well, God, why, why didn't you bless this? I told you. Right? Over and over and over again. That's, we, we do that all the time. We're like, oh, well, I got two decisions. The Bible might say this, but this feels better. This looks better. It's a quick buck. I'm telling you, that's the wrong choice. Until we give this the authority that it deserves as the be-all and end-all of the answer to the questions, we will not be able to find guidance that we so deserve. We will always have the anxiety built on our decisions unless this is the rule book. Not just a rule book, the guideline, the instruction manual, all those things, the love story of how to do this thing. The Bible is that. We are blessed like nobody else in the history of mankind to be able to read this, to have access to it. There's people in the world right now that would are just crying out for the opportunity to read the scripture like we get to. And in our houses, it just collects dust. And we say all the time, oh man, I got, I got too much time, and, or too, much, too many things going on. Really? Too many things going on to, to read God's word to your heart? 
Too many things? We could sit down in my office and look at your schedule. I'm like, okay, show me how you're too busy to read the scripture. And you may legitimately have all kinds of family things, all kinds of work things. Jared, I work 80 hours a week. Yeah, then that means you're making work your God and not God. That means you're making your children God and not God. That means you're making the TV your God and not God. That means you're making that girl your God and not God. Maybe that's, you have time for it. Kelly and I were talking about this just yesterday. About reading the scripture. Oh, it feels like every time I read the scripture, the kids interrupt me. Every time. It's like clockwork. If I want, if I want to be interrupted for the kids, even with cuteness, I just open up the Bible. Right? Well, maybe change the time in which you're reading the scripture. Right? It's different sacrifices have to be made. Or say, hey, go sit down. That's fun too. Imprint this in everything that you do. Let it be the mirror shows you. If you have questions about that, I love fielding questions about the scripture. I don't always get back right away because I have to think about it. Some of you ask really, 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 really hard questions. And that's okay. And don't be mad at me if I answer, I don't know. Because that's a legitimate answer. We cannot find out what's next if we're not reading the map. Second of all, pray. Jeremiah 29, 12-14 says, Then you will call on me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. you got to be in prayer to make the, the change between anxiety on a choice and to have being prepared for a choice. You have to be in prayer. You have to be in communication with God. Seeking diligently the mind and heart of God. If you seek him, you will find him. And here's a, here's a change for that. And there's, here's something that I've learned because I've, I've been pursuing God, but I, sometimes I pursue God to examine him, not to have relationship with him. I pursue God like a defense attorney ready to catch him. Oh, that's why you didn't do this. Nah, I nailed you. Right? And sometimes we, we, we come after, especially when we feel disappointed by God, we like cross-examine God when we, when, we, when we talk to him. We're like, oh, why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? And, oh, where were you on the night of... That's not the greatest basis for a relationship. I'm telling you, if you're, uh, disapp- something's going on in your marriage relationship and you start the conversation, where did you... That conversation's not going to go well. Okay, maybe you've experienced that before. That's not where, where you go, go from that. And that's not based out of, a, out of a trusting relationship. That's not based out of a relationship that's going to go farther. That's a relationship based out of fear and out of frustration. And sometimes we take that to God. It's a, why have you disappointed me? Why have you done these things? We're treating God like we're cross-examining him, not seeking him for a relationship. The third thing, and this is where we get out of order, is we have to take action. If we, and, but taking action can only follow after studying the word and prayer. It can only come after that. Saul leads with taking action. Typical man, let's go do this. Oh, I have to read the instruction manual? Anybody fall into that in Christmas, Christmas things this week? Yeah, I got decals in the wrong spot all over the place, right? 
You got to read the instruction manual first. You got to pray. Got to look it up on YouTube how you're actually supposed to do this thing. And then you take action. Saul takes action. And he's like, oh, I should have prayed. And it's easy to blame Saul. I can't believe he did that. We do it all the time. Preparation takes the next step. Anxiety stays where you're at. If you're praying and you've been, you've been praying in this and seeking God's, God's face in it and you've been studying the scripture, it's okay to take the next step. This week has become very evident of the difference between toddlers and five-year-olds. I had my nephew, my two-year-old nephew, stay with me for the last 10 days. And um, every five seconds, don't do that. Don't go up the stairs. Don't touch this. Don't, 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 don't. It's a lot of don'ts for a two-year-old. You want to say, yeah, you can't, right? You just don't. Don't play with knives. Don't let the cat on fire. Don't do these things. Don't, 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 don't. But Bowen, thankfully, Bowen and Kendall, hey, don't do that, all right? Oh, okay. They know because they've, they remember these things because they're five now. When they were two, oh, yeah, don't, it was a lot. It was two twos at the same time. I didn't know what yes was until they turned four, okay? And so we, 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 we just went through this, but it brought it all back having a toddler in the house because we're not childproofed anymore. Eh, don't drink bleach. It's pretty self-explanatory, all right? <clears throat> Whoops. No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It burns as it goes down. Oh. We don't act as toddlers anymore. They have to be told what to do and what not to do all the time. Sometimes spiritually, we still act as toddlers. Am I supposed to do this, God? Am I, supposed to, am I not supposed to do this? I'm not, I've told you. Act, grow up. It's time to... We, we have these imprinted... If we have the word imprinted on our hearts... We know what the answer is. Some of us, we get so stuck in that fear. We're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I've prepared with the word and with prayer. I'm ready to take the next step. Preparation allows you to move forward. Kelly and I, we're big preparers. We, we love, this is one of the things that got us through a lot of hard times earlier in our relationship when we were, uh, when we were dating. But we'd love to start preparing. We got really bored with the, um, <clears throat> we got really bored with going out to eat, movie. Go out to eat, movie. When you date for four years, it gets old, right? And my pocketbook was empty, all right? So they, uh, we, just, we did that every night, every night, every night. Did our movie, did our movie, did our movie, did our movie, did our movie. So what we did is we went and got a JCPenney's catalog. The internet wasn't really popular back then, okay, kids? So we went out and got a J.C. Penney's catalog, and we started flipping through it because we'd all gotten our we gotten our senior gifts right. When you're you get an open house, you think you're ready to go. You got a toaster. Oh, I can live by myself. I have a easy bake oven and a toaster. We're good to go, right? So we got we got uh, we got out this uh, J.C. Penney's catalog. I don't know why I thought of this today, but um, J.C. Penney catalog, and we started circling the things we thought we would need to have a home, and then I figure out. You know, Kelly got her spreadsheet out, got a little Excel out, and she's like, okay, we need $3,000 and 20, you know, $286.76, and then we can be married and live happily ever after. If it only cost $2,000, that would have been okay. <laughs> right? So we, but we had it. We prepared. We still had two more years of, of dating before this happened, but we were just bored and ready to go. But this is our mentality. We prepare and we prepare and we prepare. So when the time came, we were ready 
to take action. We thought. Was it different? Oh, absolutely. When I asked Mike if I could uh, marry Kelly, I brought him a spreadsheet. I can't make this up. I brought him a spreadsheet because we were getting married in college. And so um, my senior, we still hadn't graduated yet. And so I was like, okay, we have a senior year left. I'm going to have to prove to him that we could actually afford this because I thought this was the reasonable step to take. So I prepared, I took action. I had a spreadsheet of how much it was going to cost for, I already went to where we could get an apartment and all the insurances and all these things and brought it to him. And he just started laughing at me. He was like, what in the world? The fact that you even thought of this, go ahead, I guess, marry the lady. Come to find out, all I had to do was do the research on how much scholarship money was available. We went to a private school for free the last year. It saved us $20,000. Could have gotten married freshman year and... I'm not promoting that. <laughs> Parents everywhere are like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anywho, uh, we were preparers. And in that preparation, we were ready to take action. As we prepare uh, these anxiety-driven things where it's some, when you've done the preparation, you can take the next step. And we've done that with you know, work or whatever, but you still feel that sense of anxiety. Ah, <sighs> I know I've done these things, but I don't know if I can take that next step. Listen, listen, let's boil all the other things away. Have you been in the word and have you been praying about it? If you have, take the next step. I don't know what that means for you in your relationships with your, with your spouses, uh, what, what needs to happen. I, I'm scared about asking them to be a part of that life group with me. I don't know how they're going to react. Just do it. Have you done the other two things? There's an order. How am I supposed to speak into my son's life or my kid's life? How am I supposed to do it at work? Focus in on, these, on, these, on preparing your heart and your life for it, not the other things. We spend hours and hours and hours preparing for our careers or doing things with college and online studies or all kinds of different things. But how much time are we spending in the Word and praying, getting our heart right, Letting God mold us and shape us into the person we're supposed to be. So when we do take action, of course it's going to be blessed. I don't want to be a toddler anymore. I don't want to look at fear in fear at every decision I have to make. I've been through the no phase. I've been through the don't do that, don't touch that, it'll hurt you phase. I want to grow up. As a church, I want that for us as well. As we unleash as a body of believers, of people who can say, hey, I can take the next step. I'm prepared. The anxiety is gone over making that decision. I can do this. I can step into that. I can step into who God has created me to be and wants me to be. I don't want to be like Saul and, and kind of just overshoot and go, okay, let's go do this. And that's not anything you were supposed to be at. That wasn't for you. I hadn't planned that for you. You just jumped the gun there, bud. When I'm making decisions this year for my family, for my, for my wife and for my kids, I want to know that I've prepared myself in the word and prepared it with prayer. I want us as a church and individually to look forward to what is next and who we are. Band, you can come on forward. I want us to look forward to, what, <laughs> to what's next and who we are as people, what God has planned for us. I want to look forward to what's next in our finances. 
what God has for us there. That these are places of preparation, not of anxiety. Wouldn't it be a different kind of life if what's next for us didn't scare the bejeebus out of us for who we are, for our career path, and for our finances? That'd be enough of of a year goal right there, right? What's next for us in our relationships? And what's next for us in our purpose? We have four more weeks of finding and stepping into what's next for us. But as we think about that, as we start to prepare that, the foundation for all the rest of the talks that we're going to talk about is really get into, let's cut that. They were ready way faster than I thought they were going to be. <laughs> Guys, good job. Man, on it. Uh, sorry. Um, and so I, I really want to focus into uh, who we are and, and what that looks for us as we go forward as a church, as we go forward as people. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have um, basically a what's next meeting. It's the annual business meeting, but that is the worst marketing campaign in the history of marketing campaigning. I want to go to a business meeting. All right, It's a what's next meeting. It's a vision meeting for the church. What it really is, is talking about where we are at as a church, where we've been, and where we're going to go. And that looks like what, what it is for the elders and what it is for our budget, the, the, the nitty-gritty of that. But what it really is is this is where we're going, guys. This is exciting stuff. Uh, so that's at the end of January. Uh, in your bulletins, there should be some, uh, some guidelines for nomination for elders. Uh, please turn those into office if you have uh, some. We need two this year. Uh, so we really need you guys uh, in your feedback for that. If you are 16 and have been a, are a Christian and have been going to this church for over six months, I believe you are a voting member of this church. Um, so you, um, we don't have traditional church membership, um, but those are those are the guidelines that we we operate on. That uh, we'd love love for your participation in the visioning meeting. It's not just a business meeting. It's more than that. It's a what's next meeting. I'm really excited about what the future holds for this church and what's going on and what's happening here. Uh, Today, as we explore what's next, as we look at maybe ourselves and are we prepared or are we just smired and stuck in anxiety? Am I ready to launch out or am I ready just to crawl in a hole? What, honestly, as we look at ourselves this new year, what is our heart screaming because some of us come to church and we're like, you know what, Jared, I put on a smile, I shake people's hands, and I, I, got, I look okay, but on the end, I'm really, it was hard for me to get out of bed this morning because I'm so scared about what the future holds for me. I want to shift that. I want to shift that this year, that this is a year that we step into who God has always wanted us to be, into that we look at what's next with excitement and not fear. And I can't think of a better way to do this than, than to take communion on this Sunday. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to take communion with us today. We practice open communion, so you consider yourself invited with that. Uh, as we take this cracker and as this grape juice, as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made, that he made these sacrifices... So that we could live abundantly, not live in fear. That we would have a future and not be stuck in the past. That we can have eternity with him. Not be scared of tomorrow. 
As we think about these elements and we think about the sacrifice that God made, let's think about how we can rest in him, that we can rest in this relationship, that we can reside with a God who loves us and cares deeply for us, that he has more planned for us than we can ever imagine. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for the plans that you have for us. Thank you for how you've uniquely made us. Lord, we ask you to bless this time, bless this worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.